Some of you know this, but the, the leadership of the church has invited anybody who would be interested uh, to fast leading up to Easter. And we've chosen Wednesday to do that, but you could choose any day to do that. And what fasting is, is simply not eating uh, one meal, two meals, 24-hour period. It's uh, refraining from your cell phone, technology, computer, whatever, in an effort to fill ourselves with more of Jesus and less of the world. And have you noticed, if, if you've done this over the past couple weeks, have you noticed sometimes that when you're fasting and seeking the Lord and filling yourself with Him, God reveals things in you that aren't always what you want to hear? I don't know if you've experienced that, but several weeks ago when we started this, on Wednesday, I was listening to some music, and I listened to this song. We sang it earlier. It's called Come Thou Fount. And I listened to these words, and, and I mean, it's like God just said, that is your theme song for following me. Those are your words for following me, and the words that God revealed to me during that time was prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I'm not talking about seasons of my life, I'm talking about day-to-day following Jesus prone to wander. And I don't know if you can relate to this. Are there days where you wake up and you make decisions to just willfully disobey God? You just don't want to do what he wants you to do. Are there days where you know what the Bible says, but you don't want to obey? Are there days where you don't even want to talk to God in prayer? You don't feel close to God. Maybe there's days or weeks or months where you don't open God's word because you don't want to hear what he has to say. Are there days where you wake up and you barge into your day without even acknowledging God and asking him to help you because you think you know better than him? Are there days where it's just really hard to trust the goodness of God because life is difficult? The truth is, if you're following on your notes, all of us, we all have a tendency to wander. We all have a tendency to wander. So to level the playing field here, this morning. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to wander. You're going to wander. And the reason we will always struggle with wandering, even after genuinely following Jesus, genuine conversion, the reason we struggle, if you're following on your notes, we all struggle with wandering because of sin. We all struggle with it because of sin. Because even though we're free from the penalty of sin, And the punishment of sin, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we're not free from the presence of sin or the influence of sin in our lives. Scripture is clear. We will battle with sin until the day we die. And so this passage is so important for us to look at today. Because if we are prone to wander, and we all are, then we need to know how to fight this tendency to wander and how to protect ourselves from this tendency to wander. So I want to invite you this morning, would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you're not sure where it is, look at the table of contents. That is your best friend, the table of contents. If you don't have a Bible here with you, take a Bible from the seat rack in front of you and turn to page 839. I can't encourage you enough to have a Bible in your hand this morning. The the way we're going to look at this scripture and walk through it and look at sections of it and words, it it would really benefit you to have a Bible 
Um, and if you don't own one and you take one of those black ones, feel free to underline things in it, circle things in it, write in it. It's yours. Take it home. Just to bring us all up to speed, we're in the third week of our series in the book of Hebrews called The Supremacy of Jesus. And what we've done the first two weeks is we've learned that this book was written to a group of people who were being persecuted for their faith. They were Jewish Christians, they had grown up Jewish, and they were considering going back to their Jewish roots. Life was not easy, and if they had not already begun to wander, they were probably tempted to wander from following Jesus. And so with that in mind, the author of Hebrews gives this group of followers of Jesus the following encouragement. I'm going to read the first part of chapter 3, verse 1 in the Bible. You can follow along, and then I'll ask you to join me in reading the first gray box on your notes. Hebrews 3, 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. Now, would you read this with me in the first gray box? Fix your thoughts of Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Right out of the gates, the author gives this group of believers the remedy to wandering. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. If you are tempted to wander, if you're tempted to sin, if you're tempted to turn from him, fix your thoughts on him. And fix your thoughts is this really rich word. If you're following in your notes, fix your thoughts means to pay attention to, to continuously observe, and to press into. Pay attention to, continually observe, and press into. This, This group of believers needed to be reminded that their faith was not based on their circumstances. Remember, their world was swirling around them. It was changing every day. They were considering going back to their old way of life, not trusting Jesus. And they needed to be reminded that the foundation of their faith was in a person, not their circumstances. And we need to hear that today. If you're following in your notes, our faith is based on a person, Jesus Christ, not our circumstances. And the, the reason this is so important is because circumstances are always changing, right? I mean, we, we know this. They're, they're always changing. Our finances change. Our friendships change. Our families change. Sometimes spouses change. Kids change. Our reputation might change. Whether a prayer was answered the way we wanted it to be answered or not, circumstances are always changing. And here's what happens when we base our faith on our circumstances. The foundation of our faith changes. And when our circumstances change, if we've based our faith on them, things begin to shift. And when things begin to shift, they begin to crack, and we begin to wander. And so I've I've tried to think this past week. Every time in my life where I've wandered for a significant period of time, I tried to pinpoint what what was the common denominator in all of that? And I concluded it was this. Each of those times, I can look back and without doubt say, I took my focus off of Jesus and I put them on my circumstances. I I looked at what was going on around me and what I wanted more than what Jesus wanted for me. I took my thoughts off him and I looked at everything else. And it led to wandering. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it is the remedy to wandering. 
And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're told to think about two things in particular in this verse. The first thing we're told to think about is the fact that he is an apostle. If you're following in your notes, apostle means sent one from God. Sent one from God. It's the only time in the entire New Testament Jesus is called the apostle. Jeff talked about this last week, but Christianity is the only faith that doesn't require its followers to work their way up to God, but God came down to us. David Platt, a a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, gave this illustration. I I found it helpful. He said, this story is about me and a girl. I love this girl, and I wanted to marry her. So when it came time for me to tell her how much I loved her and to ask her to marry me, do you think I sent one of my friends to relay that message for me? He says, of course not. I needed to be the one to tell her that I love her and ask her to marry me. I needed to go myself and tell her myself because, listen, he says, in matters of love, one must go himself. And that reveals the greatness of the character of our God and his love for us. He didn't ultimately send this person or that prophet or this message or that messenger. He came himself. He came himself. If you're considering wandering, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Remember that he loves you so much, he came to rescue you. He is the apostle. He's the sent one. And if you're thinking about wandering, we're told, fix your thoughts on Jesus and remember he's our high priest. He's our high priest. We're going to learn a lot more about the significance of high priest in a few weeks. But for today, what we need to know is that in the Old Testament, the high priest was the only person who could talk to God. He went to God and represented the people, and at that, he only could do it once a year. And we're told Jesus is the great high priest. I love what this word means, high priest. In in Latin, this word means, if you're following in your notes, it means bridge builder between God and people. High priest means bridge builder between God and people. And I love that because Jesus is our perfect high priest who was sent down to build the bridge back to God. In our children's baptism class, we, we want to make sure kids know the foundation of the faith. So before any child is baptized in the church, they have to come to a class, and I teach it, and their parents have to come, and, and we teach them the basics and, and try to gauge if they're ready or not. Uh, to follow Jesus through baptism. So we start at the very beginning. We start in the Garden of Eden. And we say, Adam and Eve were created by God. God created everything, and he made it perfect. Absolute perfection. We were created to be in a perfect relationship with God. And so in the Garden, there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no tears, there's no hurt, there's no death. We're told that the Lord even walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he only gave them one rule, right? One rule. Don't eat from the tree of life. And they did. And so, this perfect relationship, what we do is we come over to the board and we draw on the board for the kids. This relationship that started as perfect is now separated. And so, we're over here and God is over here. And the reason we're separated is because a holy, perfect God cannot be in a relationship with people who are sinful, who are not forgiven of their sin. And so 
This is the point in the class where we have the kids stand up and they stand at one end of the room because we want them to catch this visual that there's nothing they can do to earn their way back to God. So to do that this morning, I want to invite my friends, um, Ella and Andrew, up to the stage. So they're going to come up to the stage. And what we do is I tell the kids, you stand right here. You guys stand right there at the edge of the, the, the whiteboard, okay? I'm going to go over here, and on the count of three, you can't, jump, you can't run, you can't do anything to get a head start. You just have to try to jump to me, right? You just have to jump to me. But what I want you to know, I think you're good enough. I, I think you come to church enough. I, I think you read the Bible enough. I think that you bring money for the offering. I think you obey your parents perfectly. I, I think, do you always love one another? Real? Wow, okay. So... Really? <laughs> so, you're, you're good enough. And because you're good enough, I think you can jump from here to there and you can bridge the gap on your own, okay? So, what I'm going to do is go over there, but what I need you all to do, and we do this in the class, this is where church gets fun this morning, is we have the parents cheer for their kids because the world tells us you can do it on your own. You're good enough. You don't need anybody's help. You don't need a savior. You can do it on your own. So what I want you to do right now, their names are Ella and Andrew. I want you to start clapping for them. I want you to cheer their names. You can whistle if you can whistle. Help me out. Come on, let's clap for them. You can do it. Come on, come on. On the count of three, ready? One, come on, two, three. What, you didn't, you couldn't make it, huh? Because good isn't good enough. And there's nothing we can do to make our way back to God. And we bring him over to the board and we say, we are separated from him because of sin. We can't jump far enough. We can't try hard enough. There's nothing we can do. The only way back to God is by trusting in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that's why we're told that he is our high priest, the bridge builder back to God. If you're thinking about wandering... Focus your thoughts on Jesus and remember that he was the sent one who built the bridge back to God. Would you thank my friends here? They did a great job. Thanks, guys. All right. God knew we could never make it back on our own. And he loved us so much that he sent his perfect, sinless son to take our place on the cross, to be the sacrifice. He died the death that we deserved, and as he hung on the cross, all of our sins were placed on him so that when we trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, our sins are forgiven and we're restored. The bridge is built. And when Jesus looks, God looks down at us, he, he doesn't see a failure, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees a son or a daughter. He is our apostle and our high priest. Fix your thoughts on him. Make him the firm foundation of your faith. In verses 2 to 6, the author continues to speak about the supremacy of Jesus. And I'm going to read these out of uh, the Bible. You can follow along. It says, He, he's talking about Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but, in God, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son 
over God's house. Now, the, the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses is not such a big deal to us. But these Hebrews were raised in the Jewish faith, and they were taught that Moses was the greatest of all the Jews. For the Jewish people, Moses and the law were the foundation of their faith. And, and the writer is saying, Moses is important. Make no mistake about it. He's important, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is your firm foundation. Don't go back to slippery footing. Don't go back to the law and thinking you can earn it and be good enough. Keep your foundation based on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He says Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus built God's house, and he was a son in God's house. Moses loved God. Jesus is God. So even though Moses isn't as important to us as he was this group of believers, there's a principle that's still really important for us. And it's don't leave the the permanent for the temporary. Don't leave the greater for the lesser. Don't leave the sure footing for slippery footing. Don't leave Jesus and think you need to go back to try to earn it because Jesus will love you a little bit more if you just do more. Don't go back there. And next week, Jeff is going to talk about resting in what Jesus accomplished. Don't go back there. Make Jesus your firm foundation. And as we continue with verse 6, we are given a warning that begins this next section of chapter 3. It's a warning about not making Jesus your firm foundation. Would you read this with me in the second gray box on your notes? It says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Let me read part of verse 6 again. We are in God's house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Now, the the word house that we've seen now several times in this verses 2 to 6, it's not a physical house or the temple like these Jewish people might have been thinking about, but it actually means household or family. It's similar to what we're told in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 12, when uh, Jesus said these words, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we trust in Jesus, we're part of his family. We are part of the family. And then we see this little bitty word which has huge implications, and it's the word if. And we'll find this condition again and again in Hebrews. So I want to be very clear here as we begin talking about this section. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. We have talked about that already. No one can save themselves. Then what does it mean that we're part of God's family if we hold firm. Lean in here. This is really important. We're going to spend most of the day, remainder of the day, talking about this. Perseverance in Jesus does not gain us salvation, but it demonstrates the reality that true salvation indeed exists. It's a mouthful, so let let me try to clear that up just a little bit. If you're following on your notes, Continuing, continuing in your faith, continuing in Jesus is the proof of reality and the test of real faith. It's the proof 
of reality and the test of real faith. We can tell if we are in God's house because we stay there and he keeps us. Day after day, month after month, year after year, we continue to follow Jesus through the good and the bad, just like what Chuck talked about earlier. We follow Jesus day after day, month after month, year after year, and we fix our thoughts on him and make him the foundation of our faith. And as we hold firm and we continue in Jesus, we'll see maturity in our relationship with Jesus and others. And so to help us understand what it's going to look like, because staying in God's family will result in us looking different. I want to invite you to turn your notes over. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but in 2008, Jeff and Steve taught a series in the New Testament book of 1 John called God Assurance. And during that series, they, they shared five assurances that you can have to know if you're saved. You can listen to the messages online, but these were the five tests that were given in the book of 1 John. One, have you admitted you're a sinful person before a holy God? Two, can you point to specific examples of obedience because Christ is changing you? Jesus even says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Number three, how loosely do you hold the things of this world? Are you growing more in love with this world or more in love with Jesus? Number four, to what extent has your faith in Christ caused you to show his love to others? If you love me, you will love others. And number five, how openly do you confess Jesus to others? Do people know that you're one of his followers? Do you ever share your faith? Don't hear me say you have to be doing all these things perfectly, but are you growing in them? Because if you're growing in them, it's a good sign that you're holding firm to him and continuing in him. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, by your fruit, by their fruit, you will know them. You'll know them by their fruit. Our lives will look different if we're holding firm to Jesus and walking with him day after day, month after month, year after year. Continuing in Jesus is the proof of reality and the test of our faith. But this little word, if, it leads us to a, another significant question. And that question is, can I lose my salvation if I don't continue in my faith? Let me say this. There's some mystery here. And if you find yourself praying at any point during these services, I would welcome those prayers right now. So, can you lose your salvation? The short and quick answer? No. You, you can't. You can't lose your salvation. But listen close. The reason you can't lose your salvation is this. You can't lose your salvation if you never had it. The one who doesn't continue and falls away never belonged in the first place. The book of Hebrews is clear. If you continue in your faith, it is proof that you are part of God's family. And if you do not continue in your faith, you never were. I really think this is hard to understand for us. Because for years and years, the, the church has taught that we can pray a prayer or go to a class when we're a little kid and then we can grow up and live however we like, and we have full assurance that we're saved. And it's a lie. We have been taught that if you just believe in Jesus or know about Jesus, that you're saved. But the book of James even tells us that the demons believe in Jesus. And their lives don't look anything like Jesus' life, and they're certainly not saved. The proof of our faith is not in a decision we made a long time ago. 
hear me really carefully here. Our lives change when we trust Jesus, so the decision we make to follow him is critically important. The proof that that is a genuine decision is played out over time and whether we continue with him and follow him and stay in his house. If we don't continue and we fall away, it is proof that the decision we made a long time ago was not genuine. We're going to talk about that warning of not continuing in just a minute. But I want to give assurance to anybody here who you struggle with wandering and we all struggle with wandering and you think you can lose your salvation or you've lost your salvation even though you are obviously continuing on in your faith and other people can see it. I think sometimes we just wrestle with that. Have I lost my salvation? Listen to these beautiful words of Jesus from the Gospel of John Chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Read this last sentence with me. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. And then in John 6, I love these words. Would you read this with me? It's from the message paraphrase. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and don't let go. He keeps us. He keeps us. Let me make a very important distinction. Just because you mess up daily, don't think you've lost your salvation. Just because you wander, and we're all prone to wander, don't think you've lost your salvation. It's like my two boys. I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and trust me, they mess up daily. They don't lose the relationship I have with them. I'm their dad. I'm always going to love them. I'm always going to want a relationship with them. And so when they mess up, they might harm the communication we have. They might harm the trust that we have with one another. But they never lose the relationship with me. Unless they turn their back on me and they say to me, I don't want anything to ever do with you again. And they walk away and they never come back. Even if they did that, I would long for them to come back and I would be waiting with open arms to hug and kiss them. And I think that is the Father's hope for us that all would be saved. So even when we wander, even when we turn our backs, God's hope is that we would come back and we would run to him. But if we really want to go away from him and want nothing to do with him, he will let us go. He's not going to make that decision for us. Can you understand why wandering is such an important issue and why we need to focus our thoughts on Jesus? One final word about this. One author that I read this week said, concern about losing your salvation is a good reminder or good indicator that you are continuing in your faith. If you're concerned about this, It's a good indicator you're continuing in your faith because somebody who has turned their back on Jesus and walked away is not really concerned about it. They're not concerned about it. 
Well, we, we could end the message right there, pray and go home. But the author of Hebrews continues on with an example of wandering. And I think this is a really important example. And I'm glad he continued on because it begins to show us what it looks like when we do not continue to hold firm. So I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. You can follow along in your Bibles. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. These verses are taken from Psalm 95. And these would have been very familiar to this Jewish group of believers. They would have known exactly what this was about. But this story is about God's children who wandered in the desert for 40 years, who, interestingly enough, were led by Moses. The author specifically chose this psalm because it provides us with the grand and terrible lesson of Israel's history. If you're following in your notes, the lesson of Psalm 95 is that it is possible to begin well and finish poorly. It is possible to begin well and finish poorly. Here's a a really quick history of God's people. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years when God freed them in miraculous ways. They went out of Egypt, the Red Sea split, they walked through on dry ground, they went to Mount Sinai, they got the Ten Commandments, they kept going towards the Promised Land, which was the land God told them they would inherit and bless them with. And as they neared the Promised Land, Moses sent out 12 spies to check out the best way to get into the land. And only two of the 12 spies came back and were courageous enough and trusted God enough to take the land. And the majority went out and they decided, we're not going to enter the land right now. God was so disappointed and so upset with his people and their wandering and their unbelief that God said no one over the age of 20 would ever step foot in the promised land. And we read that of the millions of Israelites, only two, Joshua and Caleb, over the age of 20, ever set foot in the promised land. These people had a fair weather, good until the first trial faith when it dissolved in unbelief. And many of these people, they stopped believing that God was really with them, that he was really leading them. He was no longer their foundation. They took their thoughts off him, and they put them on their circumstances. And the psalm ends with words that give us pause. They shall never enter my rest. We have no assurance that these people were saved because they didn't believe God and trust him. We have no assurance of that. Their lack of continuing was the proof of their unbelief. They didn't continue. And the apostle Paul found this example of the wandering in the wilderness so important that he wrote about it in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 11, when he says, these things happened to them. He's talking about the wilderness. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. 
This is in the Bible, friends, because we need to hear the warning. Don't do what the children of Israel did even after they had seen proof of God's power and care for 40 years. Don't wander so far that you don't want to come back. Don't do that. Hold firm to Jesus. Continue in your faith. Make him your foundation. And the warning ends with the following words. Would you read this with me in the third grade box on your notes? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And in these verses, I, I believe we're given a progression of what can happen when we wander. It's why this issue is so important. I, I wrote it in your notes because I, I, I just want us all to get it. You don't even need to fill this in. A wandering heart allows us to be deceived by sin, which can lead to a hardened heart, which leads to unbelief, which leads to falling away, which proves false conversion. Let me unpack that for just a minute. When we wander, when we take our thoughts off of Jesus, our eyes off Jesus, and look at everything else in our lives, it opens up a foothold for sin. And in this verse, we're told that sin is deceitful or tricky. Have you ever noticed that sin is tricky? It seldom appears as it really is. It lies and it deceives. It promises things and then it never fulfills. We get to the end of sin and it's empty. It can be fun at the moment, but it leaves us empty. And what we do is we start by allowing ourselves the apparent luxury of doing something small, which we know we shouldn't do, but which we think doesn't really matter. It's just a little sin. When it becomes a habit, we stop thinking it's wrong at all. If the question is raised, we're ready with rationalizations. Everybody does it. This is the way the world is. You're judgmental. You're legalistic. And we surround ourselves with people who agree with us. And once the mind has been deceived, the habit goes unchecked, which leads to a hardened heart, which leads to unbelief, which leads to falling away, which proves we were never saved. It's the pattern we see in Psalm 95 in the desert. And God lets us go our own way if that's what we really want. Persistent unbelief in the face of evidence has consequences, serious consequences, like wrath of God type consequences. And if we persist in unbelief, there will come a day when it's too late and we'll be separated from God forever. The author of Hebrews goes here in chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, he says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And if we not, have not placed our trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and if that bridge has not been built for us, then the Bible tells us we're enemies of God, and that is what awaits us. Wandering has significant consequences if it's unchecked. Significant. And so, just to be as helpful as possible, I tried to think of several situations, and these are autobiographical, that I've lived, where I began to move through the progression of wandering to being deceived by sin to hardness of heart. And I just offer these so we might know what it looks like if it's happening in our lives or somebody else's life or if it happens in the future. So, 
we've moved through the progression, and I know my heart is hardening when. Here's the first one. God keeps telling me the same thing over and over, and I ignore it. I know it's wrong. I ignore it. I know I need to forgive somebody. I know I have this secret sin. I know it's wrong, and I just tune it out, and I ignore it because I love my sin more than I want to follow Jesus. I know my heart is hardening when. Number two, we say this line. I've said this. I know what the Bible says, but you know what God's word says, and you are willfully and deliberately disobeying it. If you are there, your heart is perilously close to being hardened. Number three, I know my heart is hardening when. Number three, it's easier, it gets easier and easier to do what you know is wrong. It gets easier and easier. You have all the rationalizations in the world. You silence the voice of your conscience. That's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. It's not a big deal. It just gets easier and easier to do what's wrong. And if we find ourselves in any of those situations, take heed. Focus your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest. Make him your foundation. Come back. It'll take you farther than you want to go. Can you see why it's so important to keep fixing our minds on Jesus? To keep filling our minds with his words. It's the remedy to wandering. Focusing on Jesus is the remedy to being deceived by sin. Which leads us through this progression. And did you catch in verse 13, in the gray box, the advice we're given to help us with wandering and being deceived by sin? Did you catch it? I mean, first and foremost, it, it's to focus our thoughts on Jesus. But did you catch the advice we're given? Encourage one another daily. So simple. Encourage one another daily. This means to come alongside one another, to do life with somebody that's on the same trajectory as you are, somebody that's continuing in the faith. And I believe we're told this right here because sin deceives us, it blinds us, and we need other people to see it sometimes in us because we can't see it. If you're following in your notes, we need others to help us turn away from sin and focus on Jesus. We need others to help us turn away from sin and focus on Jesus. It's why getting in a life group where you can know people and be known is essential for growing in Christ. Is there anyone in your life who can ask you, how are you? Is there anybody in your life who can ask you, how is your soul? How is your relationship with Jesus? How can I pray for you? Is there anybody in your life that you could text or call and say, I'm having a really hard day. I'm beginning to wander. Would you pray for me and encourage me? Is there anybody who could say, I see this sin in you? And say it humbly, but call out sin in you. We need the help of others to protect us from wandering. And as we conclude looking at this section of Scripture in verses 14 and 15, we read in verse 14, if you're following in your Bibles, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. There it is again. If continuing in the faith is the proof of reality and the test of real faith. And he closes verse 15 by saying, as has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. 
That word today is used two times in verse 13 and verse 15. It's because there's an urgency to this. There, there is an urgency. It's the present moment. Today, he's saying, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And he's not just talking to these Hebrews. He's talking to us. Today, if you're in this room, sitting in these chairs, and God is saying something to you, and you know it, or it's going across the ticker of your mind, or you are convicted in any way, don't put it off. Deal with it. There is urgency to it because today is the only day we know we have. There is an urgency to today. Early in his ministry, there was a pastor named D.L. Moody from Chicago. He would always hold two-day conventions to tell people about Jesus. And so he would talk about Jesus on the first day, and then at the close of the first day, he would say, go home and consider what you might do with this Jesus, and then come back tomorrow and make a decision about him. Well, he did that one night in Chicago. And he sent everybody home to consider what they would do with Jesus and the decision they had to make. And that night, the great Chicago fire broke out. And he knows that there were people sitting in that room who did not have a relationship with Jesus, who went home that night and died in the fire, and he never called them to a decision. And so today, today, I want to give everyone here a chance to make a decision. Where are you with Jesus? I don't want you to put this off. Are you here and you're a follower of Jesus and things are going well? Keep holding firm. Continue on. He has you. He's keeping you. Keep your thoughts focused on him. Find somebody you can do life with that can encourage you. Are you a follower of Jesus and you've been wandering and your heart has been deceived by sin? You know you're sinning against the holy God. You know what the Bible says and you don't care what it says. You want to live the way you want to live. You love your sin more than you love Jesus and your heart is growing hard towards him. Today's the day that you can come home running and he'll be standing there with arms open wide to greet you. Are you here today and you've put your faith in your circumstances or you've put your faith in yourself and you've begun to realize that the foundation of your faith is starting to crack and you are tired of the roller coaster of emotions and situations that you find yourself in and you need rest. Jeff's going to talk about this rest in Christ next week, but maybe today is the day you put your faith in Jesus to be your firm foundation and you realize what that means. And if you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm thankful you're here. I, I'm so thankful you're here. But while we're talking about today being the day, can, can I ask you a question? What's holding you back? What is it? He is the sent one from God that bridged, builds the bridge back to God. Why are you waiting? Today could be the day you put your trust in Jesus for the first time and make him your firm foundation. I've been praying for that this week. I've been praying for you. If you're here and not a follower of Jesus, I've been praying for you that this would be the day. Amen.
And if he's speaking to you, and you know this is the day, don't put it off. Don't put it off. The Apostle Paul said in, first, in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. And so the final question on your notes is, will I trust Jesus as the firm foundation of my faith? Will I trust him as the firm foundation of my faith? I want to encourage you to put your notes away, close your Bibles. I want you to sit back. I want you to exhale for a minute. We have built in extra time. We have about 10 minutes. We don't often slow down in this busy life to examine our relationship with God. And we want to encourage you to do that in these next few minutes. Where are you? Where are you? Examine your relationship with God. And then Chuck and the team are going to lead us in a song of response called Trust You. You can make that a declaration. You can sing that for the first time today. But he'll lead us. While we're examining ourselves and while we're singing, right now, I want to invite the prayer team down front or any elders in the room down front. They're going to be sitting in the front row that if you need to come forward for prayer, we will be there to pray with you. We will be there to pray with you. Let's take a few moments to examine ourselves. As you go today, if you need to pray with somebody, we're down front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. Cherry Hills, go and fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith whom we confess. Go and continue. You're dismissed.